Jewish audio on Chabad.org. Okay, we are live. Okay, welcome everyone. I am, this is In Conversations with Chana. I am Chana Weisberg. I'm the editor of the Jewishwoman.org. And I am joined today with a special guest. Her name is Joyce Azria. Say hi to everybody. Hi. <laughs> and we've actually uh, titled this A Fashion Entrepreneur's Journey to Shabbat and Faith. Um, so Joyce is an incredibly interesting, multifaceted woman who has an incredible journey from her past to the present. And it seems like she's always someone on a continuous spiritual journey. That's what's so nice about her. And she's going to tell us a little about her story, her outlooks in life, her perspective, um, where she came from and where she's going to. Uh, many of you may be familiar with the brand BCBG. I know I was. <laughs> and this was actually Joyce's father's um, brand, right? Well, she'll tell us all about it. So first, Joyce, introduce yourself to us. Let us know who you are, what you are, and a little about sure, yourself. Sure. Um, so nice to meet you all. Thank you for joining. Uh, my name is Joyce Azria. And um, so what can I say? Yes, I'm known a lot of times <laughs> in the places I go as uh, Max Azria's daughter or the daughter of CBG. Um, I actually ran a brand within the portfolio called CBG Generation Forever and um, have been in the fashion industry a very, very long time. Uh, newly, I'm in the CBD space, which is a really exciting, exciting uh, emerging space, and I love it. Um, but uh, I think when people come into contact with me today, they see a from woman who's married with seven kids, and um, I live in Florida. And uh, it wasn't always this way. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Not so at all. So tell us a little about your past, a little um, about, your, you know, how you got to where you got to, what it was like growing up in your father's home. I mean, someone who was so famous and so familiar with as BCBG, it must have been an interesting background. And I think you were you were the oldest daughter. I am the oldest daughter, right? So first of all, I'm always humbled and a little emotional when I speak about these things. So um, bear with me if you guys see me wear my emotions on my sleeve. um, It's a very touching story, actually. Um, I was born in Paris and always grew up to I grew up to a Sparty family. Um, and my father was always this bustling entrepreneur from forever. And um, I, I'm the eldest daughter, and we're six kids. I have an older brother and a bunch of little sisters. And um, I think that one of the reasons my father and I were so close is that we were so similar. Uh, I was always interested in business, interested in what was going on, you know, what lease did he sign, and, you know, what this and what trying to really understand um, business as I was growing up. And I think in, in a lot of immigrant families, um, whatever the purpose or the mission of the parents is often like supported by the children. And so, you know, into the United States, I came young, uh, learning English was How difficult. Old are you? How um, old are you? I was, I was three. Three. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. And I remember like coming home school work and nobody could help me. And, you know, um, uh, and went through a divorce very young, uh, in, in the United States and, and you you know, divorced yourself or no, my father, my father, okay. and my mother divorced a young girl. And when I was eight years old, I, I went off to live with my father, which is also a very interesting dynamic being raised by, um, by, a, by a man. And then thank God Hashem sent us a stepmother <laughs> wow. because that was wild. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I had more, you know, more siblings and we grew up in a very, um, 
in a home where Jewish identity was very important, where Jewish values were very important. Um, my father would travel a ton and, um, you know, building a fashion empire like he did, I think takes an amount, amazing amount of courage, but I think more than anything, it takes an amazing amount of faith. He was a very um, faith-driven individual and he um, felt Hashem everywhere. You know, his stories, whenever I tell friends or my own kids, you know, they're like, how were you raised? He was such an eccentric person that, you know, everything was about Hashem. Everything was about, you know, I would say, you know, we'd grow to certain heights and I'd see, you know, financial struggles or financial wins. And sometimes I'd ask him, like, are you scared? And he'd be like, I am scared only of Hashem, you know, oh, and wow. it was like everything was always concretized um, and, and everything was always brought to to importance around Hashem and him bringing things to us. Like, I remember I was 16 I got a brand new car. My parents were doing very, very well. And I was very, very involved in, in always in their success and helping them, whether it was with kids or work or, you know, whatever it was. And I, I got a very beautiful car when I turned 16. And the first thing I did was crash it. Um, and, and my, I, was, I was doing a mitzvah on the way. I was going to pick up my little sister who had slept over someone's house at 7 a.m. in the morning on New Year's Day um, oh, because yeah. it was my dad's birthday. So I was bringing her back. And I smashed the car and um, totaled it on sunset a couple blocks away from where my parents lived. And my dad, I called him right when it happened. I don't know how fast, he didn't even get in the car. He ran, (laughs) he ran up the street. um, And you know, he was like, thank you Hashem. And he was hugging me and he was saying, now there's no more evil eye. and all the people who jealous you and nothing will happen and nothing will bad will fall on you. And I'm thinking to myself, in any other family, you crash your car, you know, they want to make sure you're okay. But it was always about Hashem. It was always about Hashem. The good came from Hashem. The seemingly bad came from Hashem. And so I think when you were, when you're raised by a real optimist and like faith driven person, it's really contagious. And so um, as I grew up and I struggled, uh, you know, whether it was with, you know, friendships or stress and anxiety as a child, I had a ton of anxiety. Um, I needed to find for myself that relationship with Hashem. And and I was so lucky to have somebody to model after. But, you know, but when you really have to personalize something, um, you have to create your own tools. And you know, it was like, I would feel amazing when my dad would come home and make kiddish, but then it was like, I was thrown back into the reality of, you know, the material world. And it was always a struggle for me. Um, balancing, balancing. I, I came into my parents' business very young. I was 19. I was already running their swimwear, doing runway shows. Um, you know, at some points I had multiple brands under me and I was always a worker. Um, but what was What was it like in the fashion industry? Like, how did you how did you, what was the atmosphere around there? I mean, this was before you became religious. This was before, but you still had this faith-based. How did that come together? So it, it was it was actually a struggle. I would say growing up, it was a struggle because um, I, I didn't understand that how somebody can understand Hashem and have faith in Hashem and know that he exists, but at the same time, Where's Hashem when I'm struggling? 
You know, where is Hashem when, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, 21 years old and devastated about something that's going on in business or, you know, I was married very, very young and, and I wasn't able to find my bearings within that. And, you know, whatever it is that your struggle is for me, particularly it was anxiety and it plagued, you know, all different parts in my life, but I, I feel Hashem. So why don't I feel good? You know? And, and, and I think that that journey, um, really, really <clears throat> came full circle when I was 29. And I was so materialistic. Like I could really say um, I, I was a um, full-time shopper in the sense that there was never enough um, materialism to fill the void for me. Mm. Uh, and it was, it was a very, very big struggle because my business, I was like, oh, it's important for me to look a certain way. But it really wasn't. It was really more about um, my identity and that I was identifying myself more with the clothes and how they would make me feel. And look, I was part of the business. I was part of marketing things so that you constantly want something new and, and being part of that whole inspiration process. But at the same time, I was very trapped by it also. Hmm. Um, and so for me, what really shifted that relationship was actually the mitz- was the mitzvahs. And, and I think that when you don't have so much knowledge, and, I, and I'm very mindful of who I speak to, especially on this platform, because Chabad.org was actually a huge tool for me in my in my tshuva and coming back because I needed things broken down in English. I needed things really simple to understand. Sure. Um, and so, you know, I was addicted to the website in the sense that, like, before Shabbos, I would print a parsha, or I, I was so it really it really helped me to develop my 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 Judaism in a very comfortable way. And I I find that with Chabad in general, it was a very non judgmental, um, warm environment. But what really um, kind of tipped the relationship and helped me really create balance within my life was understanding mitzvahs. And I think you know. <laughs> God gives us this Torah and, and, and he gives us very, very um, strong and intelligent direction. And it's like typically in the places when I would lose somebody or it was a simcha, all, all those things would make me feel really comfortable. And then I would walk away from them. And, and it's amazing that when you really live your life as a Jew and you integrate that into the forefront of how you live, your life magically changes. And, and it really, really is that I, I started with lighting candles, um, which seemed very comfortable for me. So how, how did you even get into lighting candles? Like you were 29, very materialistic. You're saying sure, yeah. in your father's business still, I imagine. Yeah. 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 And yeah. what was your personal life like at the time? So, so I lit candles always as a young girl, I always lit candles. I just never knew there was a time to do so. Okay. It's like when my stepmom came home from work, on Friday night, we lit candles as, as girls. Um, but I came to a place um, where I was just really, really depleted. And I had um, a very best friend growing up my whole life, um, a very inspiring girl. And she took me aside and she's like, Joyce, I've known you your entire life. You're literally crazy. You need to figure it out. And she told me, she's like, you're so close to Hashem. Like, what? you've tried everything. Like, try Hashem. Like, try... You know, and she wasn't necessarily religious, but she also same background as me. And um, and she and she gave me that push. And I, I really I'm grateful to her for that. But she she really just put me in front of in, in front of the actual truth. 
And I went to see a rabbi and he told me, look, it's pretty simple with you. You know, maybe just try and light Shabbos candles and even keep a few hours in, into the Shabbos. Um, and if you're very excited about it, keep two Shabbos. And for me, growing up in LA with celebrity Shabbats that were, you know, 100 people, 150 people, Beyonce, like it was Katy Perry, it was, you know, Robert Downey Jr., whoever it was at the Shabbos table, for us, it was about bringing these people in and making them feel at home and, and exposing them to the way we live um, a Jewish life. And my dad would, you know, chuck the challah across the table, which now we very carefully pass it, you know, um, but it was a very filled with love. It was a love filled experience. And, um, and, you know, this rabbi said to me, maybe you can keep like a real Shabbos. And if you're very excited, you should keep two real, really try and, and bring in the Shabbos in your home. I had a young son at the time. And it's what I did. I kept two shatot where I lit candles at the right time. You know, I did my research. I'm like, I really want to try this Shabbos thing. Um, and I, I really gave it a fair shot. You know, I think people, you know, you see people who like struggle a lot and will go to therapy. And then all of a sudden they'll get better and you'll say, oh, what happened? They're like, well, I was just like going to therapy for four years. And then it hit me that like, I need to like actually do the work and then it all of a sudden works for them, you know, um, or whatever it is working out, like, you know, all these things that people desire to do it. It's like, it's actually when you actually put it into practice that it really can change your life. And um, I was like, you know, with Shabbos, I really have to just, just try the, the thing. And, and I knew I, we had gone to enough homes, you know, my dad had the merit of building shuls and, and doing really special things um, throughout his life. And I remember I would go and see these rebbitzins and the, and and the men and and, and the rabbis singing Ashishchayel or making the Shabbos prayers, and you feel it's like something you can't unknow. Like when it's like the 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 image of like falling in love. When you fall in love, you can't tell somebody unin love yourself. It doesn't happen. It can't happen. And I think that what would happen for me at all of these Shabbos tables is I would really understand and I would really connect with the experience and then I would walk away from it, but I always knew it was the truth. So, um, so for me, keeping these, bringing Shabbos into my home, I mean, within the first two weeks, my anxiety went from constant to like half, like right away, right off the bat. I, I used to hold my car keys. I had like all these, um, in French, you call it like tuck, like all these things that I, 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 I had like obsessions or things that I would do to feel safe or comfortable or, and right away when I lit my first Shabbos candles and kept my first real Shabbos, I understood that I'm a doer and I understood that I'm a passionate person. And I understand that I put my whole heart into everything. And here I was going in the week and creating a space where I was coming inside and having time with myself and the, the um, the putting the stop to the doing allowed me to really take a more um, bird's eye view at my life and kind of able to separate myself from my life. And who could give me the best advice is usually somebody outside because they're able to look in, right? And what Shabbos gave me was that 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 reference point where I could just step up and look in and you know switch things around or move things over. And what did you see? What did huh? you see? When, what did you see when you looked in? What did you see that you wanted? I saw that I wanted a better. Yeah, I saw that I better wanted a better relationship with my child. I saw that I wanted more children. 
I saw that I really wanted this lifestyle. Um, I saw that my heart and my head felt more calm. Um, and in fact, that whole week, I remember sleeping better and feeling better. So for me, it was a lot more physical before I actually understood what was happening. Um, I needed a break. I needed sure. a break. And I remember I would always say that. I'm like, I need to go on vacation. So I would go to Fisher Island for a couple of weeks and I would come back exhausted. Right. Or I would go to Saint-Tropez and I was exhausted. I would come back. I'm like, I need a vacation for my vacation. My dad's like, oh, la la, like you're so spoiled. And I'm like, I'm so tired. I would always say, I'm so tired. And then I realized now I have seven kids asleep. Like, wow. I, I, I'm, I'm ashamed to say how many hours. But the point is, is that if you ask me if I'm tired, I'm not. Like I just... <laughs> You know, it, it, it fills me up. And so, um, so anyway, so I keep these first Shabbatot and my, and my life just like, it was just clear. It was really, really clear to me. And, and at that point I couldn't unknow, right? Mm -hmm. I couldn't unfall in love and I couldn't, I couldn't lie to myself. And I, and I, and I knew that I was really not hanging on in life. Like I was really struggling with life. Like I was, what's my purpose and why am I here? And what would happen if I go? Like, would I, would I even notice if I wasn't here? You so know, it's I, interesting because here from the outside, you were probably the picture of a perfect life, the ideal uh, life, everything, you know, under control. And yet on the inside, you know, you're, you're describing something very different. Right. On the outside, it was like a runway show. And on the inside, it was like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> I always say it when I publicly speak, it's like my life, I think coming from like um, a study family, there's this like sound that you make this like, it's like this loud, crazy wedding, wedding, lee, lee, lee. Right. Um, and I think like my whole life sounded like that. Right. And I, and it was like very important for me to, to draw back from it and be able to really establish myself. And I think when you come from these families that have big personalities, my siblings, my father, my stepmother, my mother, you know, they, they're strong people and they're energetic and they're creative and, it's hard sometimes to say, where do I fit in here? You know, right. and even in the world, like, sure. what am I really contributing? What do I want? What do I want to do? And, um, and it's actually funny because, you know, my whole life I was in fashion because my dad was in fashion and because I loved it. You know, my dad took me to college. He's like, you're going to waste your time here. <laughs> He's like, what are you doing here? You know, he would say to me like, you have one chance. Like I'm in fashion now, get into the business. Now it's about opportunity in life. It's not about structure. And, you know, um, and he would say these crazy things and there I'm sitting at USC. I'm like, do I go to, wait, I shouldn't go to college. You know, like, right. you know, it was so much, so much to take in. And, and, um, and, and so I was really able to like hear myself better. I think when I was able to drop the volume all the way down and start to create this sort of, um, Seder, this is sort of like um, organization in my life and steps and, 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 um, and schedules and, and, and times where I would really like hear Hashem and feel Hashem. And, and it, it saved my life. Wow. It really, it really saved my life. So this keeping Shabbat moved on to, to what? Like, well, um, so if I mean, you if you're talking to somebody who's feeling this anxiety, because so many of us are feeling such yeah. anxiety and stress in our lives right now, yeah. you know, what would you suggest or someone who feels that their life is not about what they want, but more of the people around them, like you said, like your father, all these big personalities, 
what would you suggest for them to be doing now? Um, I think sometimes people have the impression that things are going to be forever. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the things I do a lot of like mentorship. I do a lot of talking to people one-on-one in groups. And I see that people who struggle, they typically don't see an end to their struggle. And, and, mm-hmm. and some people, unfortunately, you do speak with them and, you know, there are struggles that are harder to come out of, you know, we'll put it that way. But I think at the end of the day, even if you tried to keep constant anxiety for the rest of your life, typically there are things that Hashem will do that keep you growing. Um, I, I can tell you firsthand, um, two years ago, uh, I had grown a ton, but I needed to do some growing on the business side. Uh, and it was very, very interesting because I had just finished this crazy, crazy deal. And, um, and I got COVID and I was nine months pregnant Oh wow! and I, I, I almost passed away. And I, and I realized that whole time when I look back now, I think if I didn't have that spiritual bend, if I didn't have that connection with Hashem, if I didn't really connect myself or search for a relationship to Hashem, and that's what the mitzvahs are, by the way. It's like, basically, you meet a guy, you're in love, this is going to be your husband, but you do nothing for him. It's like, whenever I hear people say like, oh, I love my God, I have my own relationship. It's like, well, Hashem is asking, it's like your husband asking you like, please make dinner on Tuesday night. Or please Mm -hmm. say like, I love you, but we're going to do it my way. Like, it, it, it's hard to show the love if, if, if you can't do things that bring, bring them joy. And I, and I really think it, it's very easy to integrate. And I think that people think it's like an all or nothing. And it really is just about starting one thing, taking on one thing. Put your kid in a Jewish school. Watch you get inspired. Light Shabbos candles. Watch, get inspired. You know, say a blessing before you eat something. How does it feel when you're not like, blah, 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 and you're like shoving something down your mouth? You're taking a minute and you're saying, wow, Hashem. But you know what? If somebody writes some amazing book about like focusing on what you're eating, we're all going to join this kid <laughs> focusing on eating. Oh, the faux diet. Have you tried it? It's like, no, it's like, just take one minute. Acknowledge that. Thank you, Hashem, for making the apple that I'm going to eat. So I think like um, I was I, th- I think I was actually telling a different story and I kind of got off track. You asked me about um, the last well, question you before yeah. you go to that, it's it's interesting because you're saying like so much about it's about your relationship with Hashem and with God and doing things for God, you know, just like in a relationship, we do things for our loved ones. And yet the impact that it had was on you. In other words, your life became more meaningful. You're doing all these things for God, yet it's affecting you. You're doing it for an altruistic reason because you want to be in this relationship sure. with God, but it's affecting you on such a deep and meaningful way. But doesn't it always work like that? When I'm putting in my energy into work, when I'm putting in my energy into my children, I ultimately reap the benefit. But I feel like I'm doing so much. Here I am doing so much for my kids, but it's for me. It's for me because I want my kids to come out, you know, great. And I want my kids to serve Hashem. And I want my kids to shine onto the world like flowers that when people should need them, they should benefit from how stable they are. Right. So of course, when you're doing something for your husband, it's, it's, selfishly makes you feel good that you make them happy. Right. So I think like, yeah, with Hashem. So you were talking about the organization that you, the Seder, the, the, the order that you put into your life. I think that's where you were saying something about. Yeah. I I just, I think for me, like, I think, I think you might've also been asking me like, what do I have to say to somebody who's struggling? Sure. Um, And I think for people who do struggle, 
I think that um, when we can come outside of ourselves and take the pressure off of ourselves and realize that there's somebody else in there, like you might not be able to figure out your own problem, but guess what? Hashem can. And you might think that this is going to be, you're perpetually going to get panic attacks for the rest of your life. Guess what? You have a plan, but Hashem has a better one. Like you write this movie in your head, but Hashem turns the script this way. You know, so I think like, I, I think that. And I think that's so often part of the problem because we feel like we're going to be stuck yeah. in where we're at now and things are constantly changing. Hands. You know? And it God can. is constantly changing things for us, right? It it's constantly moving. And the seeds of redemption might be planted, whereas we're not seeing it, but something is going to sprout very quickly. But we're so, part of the problem is that we feel so entrenched in the problem that it becomes an even bigger problem. So exactly what, do you do, what do you do today? Like, are you still in the fashion industry? Are you still um, personally? It's, you know? it's a good question. <laughs> it's a very, very good question. So, um, so I would say that a lot of my work touches the fashion industry. I still do a ton of mentorship. I still do some, you know, work in the industry. Let's say it's not in the same capacity. Um, today I'm in the CBD space. Uh, I run a company out of Switzerland that creates, um, supplements and cosmeceuticals for, um, uh, you know, really with the mission of healing. And it's actually been an interesting thing because, my entire life in fashion, I was always healing things, <laughs> whether it was creating confidence through an outfit or, um, you know, creating good self-image or working with a team so that they can be successful in creating revenue. Or it was constantly this kind of healing work that I always did. And at one time, a person told me a long time ago, um, you know, you would have been a great doctor. And I think to myself, oh, I would never sit in school that long. <laughs> you know? But um, healing has always been like something I'm very, very passionate about. And when the opportunity um, with the brand I do now, Swiss 1876, came up to bring the, these products to um, the marketplace, uh, the first kind of step was the falling in love process. And I, I, I just um, I tried the products and they were extremely healing for me um, in terms of sleep, in terms of, so I told you I sleep very little. Right. <laughs> I sleep very little on some nights. I'm like, I need to sleep. I must sleep. Um, and um, so the oils really helped me. And then like some, some skin stuff that we won't get into. But um, so I think like when you feel, I think like every person who's passionate about an industry, fashion will teach you that, it all comes from inspiration and passion. And that's what creates that feeling. Cause is it the clothes that's really making you feel good? Or is it the feeling that the person put into the clothes? And, and that's why when you see owners changing of companies, you feel like, Oh, I love that brand. Oh, I, I don't like that brand anymore. Mm -hmm. Or it, it's often the Nashama piece behind the actual work that actually does the work that actually completes the work. And so, um, so what do you feel passionate about today? Huh? I feel passionate about, really being a partner with Hashem and creating healing for people. Um, and so these products have done that, continue to do that. And so I feel like um, very, very proud. It's a very, very proud work. It, it's a work that I'm constantly feeling very humbled with. You know, I, I think it's funny, but we all run for like technology and things that are moving so fast and we forget that nature and some of the basic things are, are actually very, very healing. And so I think like when you wake up in the morning to a job like this and whether it's like a review or an email or somebody that tried something and it 
works. It's like, for me, for me as a Jew, like I feel that I'm doing my job in putting goodness into the world. Um, and you, so you, you spoke a lot about prayer, how prayer is such an important part of your life. Can you tell us a little bit more? Like, how do you even find the time for prayer? <laughs> you know, juggling the many things that you do in your life. How does so, God have a place in your life? I mean, is it is it a conscious time that he plays in your life? Is it or is it just something on your mind or is it as actual? Does it represent itself in actual deeds and time? So um, I think, yeah, I think it, it's a perfect question. I think that the first step in wanting to do something is just the want to do it. And then like we were talking about anxiety, for example, we have this idea that it's like perpetual. I'll never be okay. Or I'll never get a hold on my sleep. Or I'll never, trust me, you have a kid, you'll, you'll figure out how to sleep. But I'm saying you, it's this idea that it's like never going to be possible. With, with davening, um, I always feel connected to Hashem within the day. I always feel, especially I, 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 I'm on the fourth cycle of reading a book, Bitachon, The Gates of Trust. And it really it says that the businessman sees Hashem sometimes more than, than, than certain people. But I really, through my business day, I really see Hashem. But what I try and do for myself is like I try and create places where I have input. I'm, I'm constantly on the output side of things. I'm constantly helping, inspiring, doing, um, working with my kids, working with work, you know, constantly on the output. And I need, I need to receive. Um, like all good givers, we, we need a time where we can receive. And at first it was like, I was having all these kids back to back. I had six kids in eight years. I had seven kids all of a sudden. Wow. Um, and so the idea when I would see somebody daven, I was like, I gotta do that, you know? <laughs> and it was just hard. Um, and the idea was I would do it when I could. And that's how I started. I was like, I'll do it when I can. And just that the want was there all the time. And I would say, okay, I'd put a sitter in my room and I would put a sitter here. And like, if it happened, it happened. And if it wasn't the morning prayers, it was the afternoon. If it wasn't the afternoon, it was the Shema. What, you know, whatever I could do. Um, but the, 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 the importance is, is, is where the heart is, but it's also creating an ability to do it, right? So if you're wanting to dive in all the time, but you never have a prayer book on you, it's gonna be a hard time. But if you say, I know I want to dive in, and this is actually a great way to create solutions in general. You have a problem all the time. It might consume you that you think about it all the time, but did you really take an hour to sit down and actually think about it? Because mm -hmm. if I take 10 minutes and I say, I want to pray and I don't have the time, I better, better that I don't spread out one minute a day for 10 days thinking about how I want to, but I don't do it. But to take the 10 minutes and say, how can I actually execute prayer and say, Okay, I might not have the time today, but if I buy, you know, two sitters and I put them in, you know, chances are that it might remind me when I do have the time or whatever. Okay, so let me start there. And so by doing that act, I've come closer to the goal. And usually, you know, when you see people who've like built incredible companies or done incredible things, you're like, how did you get there? Because you as an outsider see it like overnight. Oh, BCBG, how did you create BCBG? Well, guess what? It was 30 years. Because 30 years. So if you have this idea, you want to be this sadika, you want to in, you want to integrate prayer into your life and you want the input from Hashem, you want that quiet time, that time where it's just you and him, you have to start. So so for me it was like that. And I just started and I could say it was only really a year and a half ago, two years ago, after my seventh was born, where I would be seemingly more busy that I actually adopted 
davening every day. And that was a huge shift for me. I saw it in, in so much. It gave me real, real gifts, real, real gifts right away. Yeah. And so for, for me, prayer is extremely important. And actually, if I today, if I don't in the morning, it, 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 first of all, it's the most rare occasion, but it, it's now part of me, right? It's like saying, oh, you didn't brush your teeth. You don't have time to brush your teeth. Like, yeah, no, but once you... Very interesting what you said, because I think, I think it's so true. We spend <clears throat> so much time thinking about what we don't do or what we don't have time for or worrying about the things that we want to kind of avoid that you just are taking it like and confronting it right there and, and making it a part of creating memory reminders or creating things that you can, that can help you to do, to achieve it. Help me to achieve. Right. It's like, I hear people who are like very concerned with their weight and they're always talking about it while they're eating a burger, you know, (laughs) I really want to, and I have the desire to, and I I should, and I want to. And then you see how sometimes it evolves and they're like, oh, this person told me about meal prepping because Sunday afternoon I'm actually free. And then now they're cooking their whole meals the whole way through the week or they're creating just a snack that's healthy for them, you know, instead of grabbing chocolate, you know, whatever. I'm also talking to you about what I would like to work on (laughs) instead of the chocolate, the almond, you know, at certain hours. But but the point is that when we have real problems, we have to assign real time to real problems, not times where we let it infiltrate everything but like concrete times like if i'm a stress case i'm a basket case or i'm anxious all day long like let me think about my anxiety for five minutes a day let me sit at a table with a piece of paper and let me think about it i could see a therapist okay i can or can't afford it i can a uh, journal uh I, I can or can't buy a journal or i you know try and leave it there and and in fact in the day if you catch yourself oh uh uh so you can say i'll worry about tomorrow at my five minutes Hmm, right. That's true. You know, I, I yeah. It's like so, when you can't sleep at night, if you have a piece of paper with some, with a list that you can write <laughs> right near your, da- your bed, then you could put it there rather than in your head, right? Or learning. People always For, ask me. Well, talking about work. learning, you know, yeah. what role did Hasidic ideas, the Hasidic teachings have in your life? So, so that's, that, that, that's super power, powerful. That's like, that's a different level. That's when you go from like human to superhuman. I think when you integrate, when you, when you begin to learn, um, as a woman, I didn't realize how important learning is for the inspiration of my home. If my walls could talk, I think that the day that I began really like learning daily, um, you know, I could, I could like feel it in the air. Like it was, it was really magical. And I think it, it translates to your, life to your marriage to your children to your friends to you you start to notice how Hashem really moves the pieces around and you're really just part of this 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 larger idea but um Hasidus I would say for me um it started with like a couple good um safers like a couple good books um, and I didn't have the time. Like if I, if I could really say like I could make the time, but I would be deprioritizing something because I really run myself to a, a very full life. Um, I began to learn by myself one page a day. Mm. Um, and, it, and it was an idea. Again, it's very similar to what I was talking about here. It's like, you know, I'll talk to somebody who has a jewelry business who, who wants to be a jeweler. And they'll say, yeah, and I have this big idea. It's, it's an enormous idea. Okay, let's dial it all the way back. So what's the first step? 
you want to start designing. Okay. So give yourself four months to do that. Then when those four months are, you know, right, you, you break it up like that. So for me, that was the same idea in learning. And I was saying, how can I learn? I can't start learning. I can't get a Habrusa. What if I have time in the morning, but I don't have time in the afternoon? What if I want to learn with somebody who doesn't know? And I want to give them that time. And I have to be more flexible and sensitive to the times that they can. Um, and it was actually a friend of mine when I was in the hospital with COVID who called me and she said, uh, and her name's Hannah, actually. She said, you have to live because you and I have to learn together. And it was one of those things that came in my mind. And I was like, whenever I would feel really down, I would say, I have to learn with her. Like next week, I have to learn with her. Um, and we began to learn. And so I, I did this kind of like one page a day thing. And what I realized is when you do it for 200 days, you right. finish a safer. <laughs> wow. And, right. and when you finish a safer, if you loved it, you go back to the first page and you go again, um, or you do two pages or on days where you don't really don't have time. You don't do one, but the next day you might do four. Um, and then if a friend is down, you say, you know what, we've talked about this problem for an hour. Let's learn for 10 minutes. You know, it, it, it's kind of like a key that flips, um, a situation that can't be helped or, um, or stress. And it just literally turns the light on in your life. And, and I, I remember when I, you know, I used to go to classes and I used to feel that feeling really and really deeply. You go into a class, you listen to this amazing rabbits and talk about the importance of baking challah or the importance of, you know, whatever the Parsha it was. And I would feel like flying. You come out, you fly, you call everybody, you put it on your WhatsApp group. You're like, you're like, yeah, you know. Um, and then it's like Tuesday and you're like, why aren't you eating the pasta? You know, you're, you become back into like real life and you and you struggle and you realize there's such a there's such a discrepancy in emotion. Or if you're like me, Sparty, it's like, ah, it's like you just <laughs> let it all come out. Um, but it's really this this high highs and, the, and then these low lows in the mundane. And you realize when you start to learn daily, it kind of keeps the average to like a much more peaceful place. Wow. But, um, but, but the practicality of Judaism, I think for me, the simplicity, the practicality, and that when I learn something, it is always revealed to me in its application. Hmm. So you learn about anger or you learn about sneeze uh, uh, or being modest or you learn about the importance of every word you say. And then the next day you might have something where you can practice it. So right. it's really um, it's really the spirituality for me. And again, like. I don't think anybody could say Joyce is not a spiritual person. There's like definitely the desire and the want to see Hashem, but there's also like the part where I really invite him in many times in the day. Like, <laughs> let's have this relationship. Yeah, wow. Um, so, Incredible. Yeah, um, you said you have seven children. What, what are their ages? If I may ask. Sure. Sure. I have, um, I have six of them within, within eight, within seven, eight years. So I have, um, from that bunch, it goes about nine to two. Uh, and then I have a 15-year-old. Wow. Uh, and he's incredible driving. I can't even believe it's like, <laughs> like a big guy. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so that's, that's a lot to be juggling. How do you juggle all and balance motherhood with all that you, your career aspirations and, and your spiritual aspirations and everything else that you do? How does it all come together? I think it's that input that we were talking about. Mm -hmm. You know, I was once years ago, I think it was like five years ago. Yeah, it was five years ago because I was pregnant with my daughter. 
I was nine months pregnant. My doctor's like, you really shouldn't take a flight. I'm like, I'm at the airport. Um, and I was going to speak for the JWE in New Jersey. And um, I'm sitting there, I'm giving a speech. And the next day I was opening 155 stores across the country and I'm, you know, very pregnant. And somebody says to me something into the effect of like, how are you not at your store openings or how are you not with your kids? And like, how are you here? Or like, you know, or like when you're with your kids, like, how are you? Um, and I really think of it like Hashem is really my partner. And so when I'm not with my kids, Hashem's here and I'm doing business. And then when I'm with Hashem at work and I'm like, Hashem, I got to go. Like, you got this. <laughs> and then I go be with my kids. So I know that at the end of the day, I think also the more you learn and the more you, you are in touch, the more you realize you actually have nothing to do with anything. <laughs> and, you're, and, it's, and it's a lot about the energy, but it's really like when, you, when something amazing happens in business and somebody will say to me, you're so excited about life. How are you not excited about this thing that just happened in business? Is it, and, and it's really because you realize it has nothing to do with you. Yeah, I made the call. Yeah, I went to the meeting. Yeah, I had the product. Yeah. But at the end of the day, them saying yes and it happening and it all working out, this is a shame. And, and when it doesn't work out and you're really saddened or you're really hurt, or you're really down and you're in that business environment and you're not striving and you're not doing great. You're like, wow, you know, that's also mm. from Hashem. Wow. And so we have to be like, I think we have to be mi mindful of those highs and lows and everything with our kids and, and with our life. And, and the, the important thing I, I could always tell my kids and I could always tell anybody in business is I do my best. Mm. I tell my kids this all the time. I do my mommy does her best. Hashem does the rest. Right. <laughs> I, I do my best. It's a great I, attitude. It really yeah, is. So I do my best. If it works, I know I'm managing the input. I'm not managing the output. Hashem decides. I know a woman was once saying to me, she was almost in tears. She says the responsibility of being a parent. She had like a, several children. It's like overwhelming me. It's just such a huge thing. It's so if you awesome. think you're responsible. <laughs> and and I said, yeah, but look at the partner that you have, you know, and that's what you're saying. God's your partner in doing it. So how could but you I'm have also saying, but I'm also saying exact to exactly what you were saying. It's not my responsibility. It is my responsibility. Of course, my responsibility is to teach them Torah. My responsibility is to be there for them and hug them. And if they have a boo-boo or <laughs> they need to eat, you sure. know, sure. um, yes, that's my responsibility. But it's not my responsibility in the sense of that. When you hear the word responsibility, it feels heavier weighing. Right. It's my joy to have that responsibility. It's, it's my honor to have this responsibility. If Hashem is bestowing this responsibility upon me, so that's awesome. You know, um, and, and, and like you said, Hash, your partner is the best. 100%. We have the best partner. Right. So. <laughs> So yeah. when you look at your life and there's so many different stages and different parts to it and journeys that you had, what do you think about it? Like, what do you think about where you were, where you're up to now, where you might be in the future? What would you say to yourself? I think the Rebbe pops up in my mind. So I was like, you're doing good. You could do more. <laughs> <laughs> Not, you know, in the sense that well, the rebel um, always asked us to do more, right? Yeah, like it's good. It's good. You do good. It's, it's normal to do good. You know, it's normal to raise your kids. It's normal to, you know, work, work out, you know, do, do all the things that you do, but it's also normal to be extraordinary. I actually, um, I actually just started a first project of building a mikvah. 
Oh, wow. um, and that's so a lifelong, that's a lifelong one that I, it is something that like, when I married my husband, I told him, I'm like, I'm going to build a mikvah. He's like, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. oh. But, um, so you're building a mikvah where you live in Florida, yeah, where I live. And, and I, I really, um, so tell us about that. Why did you feel that so, that was so, so yeah, thing? this is about this do more type of idea. Tell, first of all, tell those who don't know what a mikvah is a little about it. And sure, sure. Um, so, so there's an extremely powerful ritual of a Jewish woman, which is, um, which is the mikvah. And actually there's a great article about it on Chabad.org. It's actually in the link in my letter where I asked my friends and family to um, come in and, 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 and help me in this journey. Um, but um, it's about family purity and it's about woman, a woman finding her time and her balance within her relationship to have her time and then husband and wife time um, I don't know how appropriate it is to speak about the actual mitzvah. Maybe you no, do a better great. job. So, no, that's great. People could do a little search and, and find out all the details. But what right. what pulled you to that? What mitzvah? pulled me like, to that? What, you, and you said it was a lifelong dream. So what was it that attracted you specifically to that? That And why now? I can tell you that there are, um, you know, when you see the buildup of something, there's like these like, it don't say like, um, like little uh, glimmers throughout my life. And I think one of them was that some of the girls in my family used to keep mikvah, uh, keep that mitzvah, and they didn't do necessarily other things, right? They weren't religious women per se, Um, but it was an important mitzvah. And I remember, you know, going to bedrooms where there were two beds and thinking to myself, they don't sleep in the same bed, you know, (laughs) the couple here, you know, are they a couple? Um, And I, and I never really understood because I, I didn't see them as outwardly religious, but then I would see that the bedroom was set up in this way where mikvah was, was a mitzvah that they, that they kept as a couple. Um, and, and I remember just different things throughout my life where I felt that it was this ma- this magical thing that I didn't understand, but that I, that I, that I felt a strong effect with, if, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Um, and I, uh, in my neighborhood where I live now, um, in Florida, there isn't a walkable Shabbos mikvah. And, and for me, um, it's such a powerful mitzvah. And I was actually speaking to somebody recently who told me that, um, they were getting married and that they're, 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 they're a young couple that they were, that they were getting married. Um, and, the woman, not religious, the woman went to see the rabbi and the rabbi said, oh, yes, and you should, and the mitzvah of mikvah. She looked into it and it freaked her out. She was like, what? That, that, you know, not for me. Um, and they actually switched Rebbeim for their marriage, um, which actually switched their first kid into a non-religious school. It, it shifted the whole the whole um, way. And I would say growing up in France, um, or, or, or I would say I left France early, but my family stayed there and going back there every summer and seeing how we live. It was like, we were traditional Jews and, you know, you know, kept, you know, let's say kiddish and things like that. Um, but we weren't religious Jews, but yet we looked at the, we, we, we kind of said, this is right. Right. Orthodox Jews to have it right. We're just not there. It's like how we grew up, you know? So, um, but I see how this mitzvah happens to shift a woman. Hmm. And I, um, I think as a visionary or as an artist or as a creative, whatever, um, also strategic, 
I see that sometimes when you put one piece facing in a different direction, it has an effect on all these other pieces. And so um, while I hope that their child ends up um, developing, you know, more curiosity about her spirituality, it really moved this whole family into, um, you know, kosher, maybe, maybe not important. Shabbos, maybe we'll sing in shul. You know, it's a totally, totally pivoted their family. Now, had this mitzvah been explained maybe differently, um, maybe she would have found value in it. And I think that's a part um, when there is a mikvah and you can shine it out outwardly more for the knowledge of why we do it and what the beauty is behind it and what the rhythm is. And this is what we were talking about with the anxiety part. It's not perpetual. And with love, actually, you need to guard it and you need to have times that are sacred and you have to have times that are for yourself and there are times that are for your husband. And Hashem, we have it planned out here for the for, for women that that a relationship can be perpetually exciting and loving and 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 this mitzvah really keeps that in the home. And then if the wife is happy and she's you know, in love. And then how does that affect the kids? And then if the kids feel this love, how do they affect the world? And so, so anyway, so this is why this mikvah was really important to me, but I would say this, I've never been so busy (laughs) with children, work, community, life, and it's great. And it's great. Um, And so to put this on top made me realize how not busy I was in the sense that, in the sense that usually when you do more, and I remember this when my dad was passing. I was do, I was doing a lot of work and I was building a big company. And I was like, I'm never going to forgive myself if I'm not there in this time. I want to be. And I want to be there. Sure, sure. So I would work, you know, from 9 a.m. to 5. I would have an hour and a half drive back home. I would see my kids, put everybody to sleep, da-da-da-da, dinner. And at 10 o'clock, I would bake something for my daddy's favorite Tunisian food and go see him at the beach and bring him his favorite food and sit with him till three in the morning. And it was the best memories. But now if you ask myself, if you ask me in that business year, could you handle your father being sick this year? I would have said, no, I can't handle one thing. And then yet I saw myself flying to Texas and back and flying to Texas and back. It's the same thing as the mikvah. It's like we, we put more on ourselves and we realize that we're actually stronger. Right. And wow. when I realized that I had very little, I was always tired and always so exhausted and I'm, I'm so tired and I'm so tired. I have a, an amazing story. My assistant for a few years, she just had twins. And she tells me, uh, I, I called her recently to see how she was doing. She was bathing her twins and she's like, sit down, da, 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 put the shampoo, blah, blah, don't splash your sister. Blah, blah. And I saw her and she's like, how did you scan me when I would come to work and tell you I was tired? When you have all these kids and I was laughing hysterically and I would say to her, I've been in your shoes before when I felt so tired and you realize that it actually is a sign that you're not doing enough, <laughs> wow. so tired. you know, which brings us back to what you just said before about the, that you sometimes have this vision of the Rebbe who's saying to you, Joyce, do more, right? What, what is your connection to the Rebbe? Can you tell us a little about that? Sure. Um, wow. That's like a, it's, it's such a big question because it, to, to, to put it in word, it's such a big love and it's such a big relationship. Um, but to, to put it in my own feeling is I feel like I'm the luckiest girl in the world Mm -hmm. in the sense that when you have the Rebbe, 
and you have a connection with the Rebbe. Um, it feels like a kala, like a bride. Like I really feel like like God is so good to me for giving me such a intermediary and such a place that I can draw strength from. Whether, uh, you know, when I'm in a confusion with somebody, wh whether there's an ability to write a question, whether there's an ability to go visit um, the Rebbe today, every time I fly to New York, there's no way I don't go there first. Um, to cry to him, <laughs> to celebrate with him. When there's good news, um, I share with him. Like a couple days ago, I shared, oh, the mikvah project's on the way. <laughs> you know? That's an amazing um, project that you're doing. Yeah, I, I feel like... Joyce, you're someone who I feel like I could talk to for hours and hours, um, but the time is getting is, 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 is getting near. So can you just tell us what's in store for you? What do you see yourself in the future? I mean, you've come so far in your journey. What do you see yourself going towards? Uh, like a good soldier in the army, wherever my, uh, wherever my lieutenant wants me to go. Um, I, I often, yeah, I've often made plans and it, it's, it's funny. <laughs> They're <laughs> laughable. Um, if you would have told me, would you be in the, you're going to be in the CBD space, um, helping, changing people's lives. I'd be like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, um, like, so like on a work front, you know, I don't know. I, all I know is that I want to continue to put my heart into things that mean something for me then I won't feel like I'm working um, and I'll feel like I'm playing all day and it's great. Um, I would love to see my children grow and um, have an appetite for continuing to challenge themselves and for continuing to help others. Um, and I can tell you that um, there's so, so many ways in which they already continue um, what me and my husband try and work on all the time. So I think for them to just be you know, light in the world. Um, so that's the future of Joyce. Um, you know, then I have, you know, all sorts of air travel and pharmaceutical space ideas and, you know, like <laughs> the woman who never stops dreaming, but, um, yeah, no, but to keep it simple, it's just to be able to put one foot in front of the other, to have good health and to be able to, uh, to move the world forward. But actually, whenever I speak on, I wanted to ask you if I could, I try and always, um, wrap up with a blessing to people who took the time to listen. Um, um, and, and also you included obviously in the world at large, but, um, I wish that all those who listen today will be blessed with, um, more curiosity in the good things. Um, thank God we have such an amazing Torah and we have such wisdom. And when you begin to scratch the surface, you realize you're swimming in the ocean. It's, it's so infinite. Um, and that I wish that you're all filled with a sense of success and a sense of meaning and a sense of stability and that we should all together be dancing with Mashiach very soon. Um, and um, yeah, and just, just that you continue, continue to, to work at it. Because, um, and, and, and then also I always ask people when I speak that if they would take on something. Um, so whether it's a capital of Tehillim for somebody, you know, who, who that's their, 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 where, where they feel the energy, lighting a Shabbos candle, candle considering a Jewish school, Baking challah for the very first time, so fun, um, but but to to advance, to make a move. And I put on myself the guarantee that they will see um, the fruit from from that from that um, endeavor. Beautiful, really beautiful. We, they say they say, call him a varach nisbarach, whoever gives blessing 
should be doubly blessed. So may you continue to have that fire in you to keep on going. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't think anyone's going to extinguish it. I don't think anything can. We're good. But thank you so much for joining us today. Your words are, I'm sure, have touched so many. And May you continue doing the many great things that you're doing. And even more, as you say. Yes, exactly. There you go. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank Thank you you for joining. Feel good.